Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 50-minute mark on the fan is brought to you by South Hills Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram and Peters celebrating 50 years in the South Hills. The voice of Pitt, Bill Hillgrove, who retired as voice of the Steelers today, joins us in about uh, 20 Five minutes. We're really excited for that. Omar Khan talking right now with the NFL scouting combine. We've grabbed a couple of the clips from his chat with local reporters, including Mark Kabali, our Steelers insider from the athletic. The first one, uh, Charlie who's producing back in green tree grabbed for us is uh, Khan telling reporters that he is full faith and Kenny Pickett, let's hear that one, Charlie. I, I have full faith in uh, in, in Kenny. Um, he's shown us some good things, and obviously there were some issues with the offense. And I'm excited about the impact that that Arthur Smith's going to have on him. You know, and Arthur's very optimistic about Kenny, and um, you know, I know they've communicated and um, said we'll, we'll have uh, some strong competition there, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, that's that, that answer does throw Matt Canada under the bus. First of all. We had some issues with the offense. Man, it, You're puts putting the it, bus the... In, it puts the bus in reverse, then proceeds to back the bus over Matt Canada. Sir, putting the struggles on him when you then say you had full faith in you have full faith in Kenny Peckett and you point out the fact that the offense had a problem and you had to get rid of the problem. Um, and then you give Arthur Smith some love. But the last part of that answer doesn't really reinforce the first part. There's gonna be strong competition there. You have full faith in a guy. That There's felt not- like a staple. That felt like he stapled that on because that's been Mike Tomlin's messaging on it. Hey, we, you know, we're not going to anoint anyone. There will be competition. I just, I feel like in Omar's position, he knows that that unity of message is important. If you're not, Art Rooney's the only person who, if he wants to, can go kind of rogue on all this stuff and say whatever he feels like saying. I think Omar is deferential enough to Mike or wants a good working relationship with Mike enough that he knows what Mike said about competition at the position. And he kind of grafted that onto the end of his answer. Cause he doesn't want to make waves by saying anything that is off script in that way. That's how I took that. I don't know. You might've, you, your mileage may vary here. So you think the last part is more of the fib and then the full faith quote so far. Yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. I, I would like, it just, it felt like added on by him too. It just, Listening. Like I got to keep well listening with the company to line, and I got to make sure yeah, I say the repeat the same axioms and the same tropes that we've here, been saying. Uh, here's since what I mean: se- it would be since the season ended. It'd be like me saying, "Yeah, you know, I completely believe in Kenny Pickett. I think obviously there were problems with the offense last year. Uh, we're excited about Arthur's work, uh, and Kenny's talk to him. Pause. 
And there's going to be competition, too. Like, everybody would know what part of that they would hear most loudly from me. Yeah, the quote there that is going to get attention is full faith. It's not the competition part. Correct. All right, so that's the first clip. The second one we have is Khan getting asked by Mark Cabali if he's trading for Justin Fields. Trial run. All right. You trading for Justin Fields? <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm not going to go into details about the conversations that we've had, but like I mentioned earlier, I, I, I can tell you that I, I have an obligation to look at every avenue um, that's out there to, uh, to try to make us a better football team. How about Kirk Cousins and Russell Wilson? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else you've been rumored to sign. Yeah, say, same answer. <laughs> there was discussions? What's that? There was discussions? I'm not oh. going to get into oh, okay. any, any uh, uh, detailed conversations. Do, do you anticipate any more players being cut for cap purposes to get there? Uh, I mean, it, All right, I gotta, so. I'm going to say, I'm going to jump in here before you do. I'm kind of annoyed. Mark asked his smirking and laughing Almost like this is a joke a little mm -hmm. bit. Did you hear that? Yeah. Like you can hear Mark chuckling. Yeah, he's busting his balls with them. They're having and then Jerry really jumps in there like it's a big backslapping fest. Uh-huh. I don't know, man. Maybe it's just me. That felt especially Jerry all the last ha 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 all the other rumored quarterbacks. Ask the question straight up. He's gonna give you the answer we all know he's gonna give you, which is I'm not gonna speak in a detailed way about it, but like and I'm guilty of this sometimes on this show, so I say that fully knowing that sometimes you lead the witness. Basically asking him the questions like you, the questioner, thinks it's a complete joke and a farce. Well, I was just going to say, the questions sound farcical, but I don't think the answer was. No, he answered them seriously and said, I'm not going to give any specific details. But that's not the part of the answer that I thought was the most interesting. It's when he said, my obligation is to make well, this team better. Yeah. And he did not have to answer the, he did not have to answer the question that way. He could have answered the question with what we played before. I have full faith in Kenny Pickett. We're going to have competition. That's where we stand on our quarterbacks. He didn't. If the Steelers do end up making a move, I'm going to cite back or reference back to that answer. Did that give you faith then? Not the a way he answered it? Not, not a ton because that could be a boilerplate answer that he gives on these things. But the fact that he did not want to use that opportunity to give the current quarterback an endorsement. I don't think that that's nothing. So do you think it almost countermands a little bit what he said the first time? Well, I, yeah, I think what it does, I think what it does, at least for me is that I think it just leaves the door cracked open that if something were to fall into their lap, Justin Fields can be had for a fourth round pick. Cause no market creates itself. Something like that. Offload them. We're going to make, so, I'm, I'm, I'm Acquisition, you know, here, you know what he's leaving the door open for? If the acquisition cost gets low enough, of course we would. If we're it. getting a sweet deal or if we're getting a big bargain, if we're getting a clearance price. Then I'm buying that $2 DVD because yeah. I think it could be worth it. If it's a liquidation sale on quarterbacks, I'm not going to look the other way. You ever shop That's at one of those? Liquidation sale? Like where they're just trying to get everything off the kind of Kind of depressing. Who's it depressing for? The big corporation that decided they had. Well, to what if it's a little local, local mom and pops business that's going out? I don't feel like they have enough stuff in stock to have a full-on liquidation sale. I only know about liquidation sales when like a commercial is run for them. So if you got money to pay for a commercial to tell everybody our business is failing at this location, please buy everything. I'm not going to feel bad for you, Brooke Pryor. Uh, Omar Khan quote: We've talked to Mason Rudolph's representative, and he knows we want him back. I think that that, hmm, 
is that more of the we we're gonna say it because it's the right thing to say, and then when he gets a better off, we're we're really secretly hoping that he gets a better offer. Yeah, I still think there's a lot of that there. I think, I honestly think though that that Omar, and like even Andy to some extent might want him back more than Mike appears to. Although, again, Andy comes from a place in Philly where they have a very mobile quarterback in Jalen Hurts who got them very close to winning a Super Bowl. So I'm, I would probably put Andy in the basket of guys who do think mobility is important and they know Mason doesn't have it. But They also won a Super Bowl there with Foles, who's not exactly well, uh, sure. Lamar Jackson. Although, does that fall into the basket? Does that like happen long enough ago that you don't quite include it the same way? But I would also look at it like as a one-off outlier, and I wouldn't want to base what happened there and sure. predict future results yeah. because of it. I take Omar's statement there to be more boilerplate than some sort of um, some sort of revealing look into their psyche as to how they look at Mason Rudolph. That's that's my thought. It just seems to me like going back to even what Florio told us yesterday. It seems like less of a smokescreen and more of a real thing right now with me and Rudolph coming back here. And I think that that's because it comes from the owner. I think the owner wants him to get another crack at it and wants him to be the fail-safe for Kenny and wants him to be the, if our franchise quarterback that we used the first-round pick uh, regresses again and can't get it right, another guy that we drafted someone else that we've groomed and someone else we've invested time and energy into is going to replace someone else that we know really well. Yep. If you're Mike Tomlin and you don't particularly care for Mason Rudolph, and maybe you even have come to the conclusion that you were wrong about Kenny and you're kind of ready to move on and you wouldn't mind having Justin Fields come in here. How good would you feel about your owner? You'd have to know that this is where it's coming from, that your owner maybe is, is shot calling here more than he usually does or is steering things in a direction that competitively speaking, you're not crazy about, Hey, we took a stab at the quarterback. It really hasn't worked. Yes. His backup was good for three. When games. we've had our insiders on like Fittipaldo is going to join us in the five o'clock hour. And we asked them pointed questions about R- Mason Rudolph. Has anyone ever told us that Tomlin really turned over a new leaf on him and is now convinced that he's a good quarterback? No, no, they've all, they don't, they've all said like he had to get almost like and Tomlin, I think hinted at that because he had to give him his props at the season-ending presser where he's always a little bit more open and unguarded because they think he feels like he has to be. And it almost it didn't sound grudging like he was mad he had to do it. Almost like if you or I make a prediction, right, and for a while it looks like we're right, but then there's enough of a body of evidence to suggest that we at least got it sort of wrong, have to grudgingly say, you know what, I got to take an L on that one. And that's how I feel about Tomlin and Rudolph. He saw the guy save their season and get them to the playoffs and have a winning year and everything else. And he goes, you know, I got to give him some props. You know what's going to be interesting? Because I think this is tomorrow. When the quarterbacks meet with the media at the combine and we've got all the Steelers reporters and they go up to these guys and they're going to ask the same question. Have you had a formal interview or formal conversation with the Steelers? It'll be very interesting to me which quarterbacks say they have. Spencer Rattler. Well, because if it's more than just the middle round guys. If it's the early round. Well, but if it's the early round guys, you know what we could also chalk that up to? Mike just loves going out there and. But I don't. I, he he wasn't doing that when Ben was in his prime. True. Well, you know, he's under, not. Understandable. He's not, in that me, case. he's not meeting with Robert Griffin and Andrew Luck at a combine when Ben's 
True. in the middle of his Hall of Fame career. Not to say that he would meet with like Jaden Daniels and those guys, but what are they going like to interview? Penix would be an interesting. Are they going to interview JJ McCarthy there? How about a Penix type? Penix, guy? like a second round. Bo Nix. Well, he, we already know that Bo Nix went and availed himself uh, to Mike Tomlin at the Senior Bowl. They had I mean, a yeah. hearty high five, didn't they? Or yeah. like man hug, yeah. bro hug. Uh, what do you make of the Omar Khan non-committal answer on Najee? I'm a little bit surprised by that. A little bit. Um, like when you say we don't have to make a decision until. We're that, in no hurry is what he said. Yeah. And then uh, didn't he give the date formally when he's like, we'd have May until 2nd. May 2nd. That last part. I know we psychoanalyze for a living here and maybe people think we go overboard. When you like make it very clear to people hey, this is the date that we have until to make up our minds, our minds on this. It does make me wonder. It does. It makes me think that you've got that date circled on your calendar and that there is at least some debate. And I would think that the two schools of thought that are in, in conflict here, if there is one, are very simple. It's two on two. And granted, I know which tag team here, uh, if Donnie was working, is the Road Warriors and which is two jobbers. By comparison, it's Rooney and Tomlin, running back guys, run the football guys, bell cow guys, versus definitely more new school Omar Khan analytics, running backs aren't as valuable, and Andy Weidel, yeah, you can have a good running back, it's important, but you shouldn't be paying them an overwhelming amount of money. I think you are getting old school on one side with the head coach and the owner and new school from the GM's uh, room. It's not even the cost, which is not that much. It's $6 million. It's just locking yourself into it. Right. It's locking yourself into that deal when with a running back, an injury, or a guy can just fall off a cliff in, at a moment's notice. And especially with the way that running backs become available both on the free agent market because they get cut or other teams don't want to pay them a lot of money, uh, where you can find them in the middle rounds or not even in the draft, undrafted like Jalen Warren. Yep. I just thought that he... I I haven't seen we I haven't heard this full Q and A. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if there's even like complimentary quotes in there about Najee because if there is, then I would maybe feel different about what's. I been think he gave, I think he gave his real his real feeling on the matter. Like if he said, but you know, like we have until May second, but we love Najee, we want to keep him on the team. He's a really important player. If he said that, then I would think, all right, he's just not announcing a move to reporters now when he doesn't have to, but it's going to, it's going to happen. It's fait accompli. It's a matter of if not when, but just what's been tweeted out makes me think that it's not a slam dunk. Yeah, that it's a hundred percent. The way he talks about it, I think, you know what? I would say it's, it's either his just version of things and he feels comfortable saying it because he just has a totally different view or the more interesting thing is if he is, if he's saying this to go back to something I said earlier and he wants to st- sort of stay in lockstep with Mike on a lot of these be much more interesting to me if he's saying that because behind the scenes, he and Mike have talked about it. And not only has Mike like turned over a new leaf where, Hey, I'm going to give Jalen Warren like legitimate touches and make this more of a true job share, but that he's also like unmoved by Najee Harris doing what he's done, which is three straight thousand yard seasons. And that would be especially pony hard for me to, to believe because Harris looked really good for them down the stretch. Like he looked arguably the best he's ever looked. He was a big reason why they were winning yep. those get like you and I, even as guys who didn't never like the pick had to concede. The guy looked like he was running shot out of a cannon and setting the tone for them. And that would be stunning then 
for Mike Tomlin to have seen that and say, you know, mm, Omar, you can you can be pretty noncommittal here. I'm not sold on this guy. I like what DeFabo walked away with from the con um, Q&A. He's there with The Athletic. He said, if you want to find a quote that suggests Kenny will be the starter, you can. If you want to find a quote that suggests they'll pursue an outside option, you can. If you want to find a quote that suggests Mason will have a chance, you can. So the moral of the story there is it's in the eye of the beholder, but they've really made it, at least he sounded publicly, like all options are on the table. Mike also, I I went to look at his Twitter feed while you said this, and Mike also has another tweet that has me very pumped. Go ahead. Omar. On Broderick Jones, quote, he was drafted to be a left tackle, and eventually he will be a left tackle, a matter of when. Thank God. Uh, But I'm going to say back to you, that's a good thing as it pertains to Dan Moore. But I don't know if that's a good thing as it pertains to the tackles in this draft. And you know, there's if 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 you think Broderick can play right tackle, mm-hmm. and if you draft a tackle in the first, with the twentieth pick, who's a guy that traditionally plays left tackle but just drops to you, like it's a David DeCastro situation. Like let's just say hypothetically, the kid from Penn State was still there at twenty. Shano, yeah, shockingly, yeah. I would draft him, and I'd probably, in that very specific instance, want to keep Roderick him Jones Joe, at right tackle. Yeah, him or Joe Alt. Yeah. Those are the only two. But I think Omar is probably playing the percentages there that if they draft a, le- a tackle in the first round, it's going to be one of the plethora of first-round graded right tackles in this draft. I think there aren't there only two guys that are truly seen as lefts, those two we named, like definite high-end left tackles, and then Mim. The Washington guy, too. But the Oregon State guy, no. Right tackle. I think Alabama are, right tackle, yeah, Oklahoma there are, there right tackle. There are four right tackle candidates who I think people are saying yeah. are first-round type of guys. All right, we're going to be joined by Bill Hillgrove next. I'm looking forward to this. I've got so much respect for him. What a great job he's done uh, on our airwaves calling pit football and pit basketball games, and he decided today that he was uh, going to step away from Steelers broadcasts. And any reason to talk to a legend like Bill Hillgrove, I'm going to jump at the chance to do that. And so we're going to... Uh, share some memories and talk about the glory days with Bill Hillgrove when we come back. Texas on the Edgar Snyder Associates fan text line. Here until 6 is the PM team, but first a Charlie headline. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And for over 50 years, our next guest has been iconic with pit sports, pit football, pit basketball for 30 years. He was the radio play-by-play voice of the Pittsburgh Steelers. You will still hear him call games on this station, including Saturday when Pitt heads up the Chestnut Hill to take on Boston College, a 6 o'clock tip-off here on the fan. I'm, of course, talking about the iconic, the great, the Hall of Fame, Bill Hillgrove, who retired as Steelers announcer today. 
There was a big write-up in The Athletic about your retirement bill. And speaking of Boston College, there was an interesting anecdote in there about you getting a police escort when you were in Chestnut Hill a few years ago. What was oh, my that all goodness. about? It's, you know what? If, if I do a book, I'll probably have at least one chapter on my travel uh, challenges. I had to get to Seattle from Boston College. It was a 1 o'clock tip-off. But fortunately, um, Chris LaSalle, who's now with Pitt, had been at Boston College, and he told me that he knew the state police commander for Boston, and it was a woman, and she's a big Steelers fan. And he called her and said, my man's got to get to the airport. She said, the voice of the Steelers will get to the airport on time. So I come out of the press box after the game, and there's this red ball with the light going. He said, come on in. Well, right behind me was Larry Fitzgerald Sr., who was covering uh, for the Minneapolis paper, and he said, I have to make a flight, too. Can I? I said, sure. So he's in the back seat. I'm in the front seat. And we are red balling up one-way streets and down one-way streets. And we got out of there and got to the airport just in the nick of time. So, yeah, that was one of my great travel stories. And I'll add to that. Uh, I'm on the runway in Logan, and the pilot says, well, this flight to Seattle is uh, too heavy. We have to blow off 500 pounds of fuel. So... There he is blowing fuel off at the end of the runway, and I'm saying, oh, my gosh. I'm six hours and 15 minutes from my destination. It'd be easier to get to Ireland. It's only four and a half hours. <laughs> but I, I made Seattle, and it was amazing. I was going to say, if you wanted to have the uh, the experience that you had driving with, with the police getting you to the airport, just get in the car with Paul Zeiss normally. That's actually what it's like with him, going the wrong way, down one-way streets, speeding gratuitously, Bill. That's pretty much what Paul does when he's on the road. You know what? I have heard that, but uh, I haven't experienced it firsthand, so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Uh, Bill, can, I just want to say, A, congratulations as somebody who is born and raised here, Ross Township guy. You were the voice of my childhood, certainly listening to uh, to Steelers games when I was 9, 10, 11, really starting to get into the team in the mid-90s. And I'll also say that despite the fact that play-by-play -play was not in my future, I absolutely, when I was at Penn State, getting the chance to do games, basketball or football, cribbed some of your material the timeline in basketball, sidecars in football. So even the guys who didn't end up in broadcasting, you influenced them, Bill. Well, that's nice to know, and it's rewarding. But, you know, I've always said uh, if you're a budding broadcaster, uh, the best advice I could give you is be yourself. Everybody else is taken. Don't try to be the next Al Michaels or the next Mike Tirico. Be yourself, and I think that's half the battle. Bill, what was your inspiration? What got you into play-by-play -play broadcasting? Well, it, it's a long story. I've always had a passion for sports. Uh, growing up in Garfield, I could see the bright lights of Forbes Field on a summer night. And there was something inside of me said I'd like to be part of that someday, thinking that, you know, I could be a Major League Baseball player. Well, I wasn't the best, you know, ball player in my neighborhood, so how was that going to be? Well, at a young age, I discovered I had a talent for this side of the microphone because my aunt was a sister of charity, and she had a friend in the order who ran the Pittsburgh Diocesan Radio TV School. Her name was Sister Rosalie, and she said, you should go there. So, you know, my dad is an electrician, and I figured I'd go there and learn how to fix radios and TVs, and she handed me a script, and I read it, and she said, perfect. I said, what's that, sister? She said, I need a 13-year-old brat. 
I said, well, I don't need a script for that. That comes pretty naturally. And she laughed. She said, no, I have this radio show, and I need uh, this 13-year-old, and you're it. And at a young age, doing live stuff at DUQ and also the two McKee sports stations, you know, I, I learned I had some talent on this side of the microphone, and I was able to combine that with my love of sports. Do you feel like in your career there was one moment that you trace back to that you consider a big break uh, when you had started to think, okay, I want to do this now professionally, that, that there was one moment in time where you felt like, all right, this is going to be transformative for my career the rest of the way here, Bill? Yeah, I, I was versatile, uh, and I, I advise young people to try to be versatile and do everything you can in the business. And so when I got to be of age, I went to Duquesne largely because they had an on-air radio station, and I knew as a student I could cut my teeth. And I did everything. I did an opera show. I did disc jockeying. I did news. And, um, you know, uh, it, it, it fared well for me because I was able to do some Duquesne basketball and a little bit of high school football. Uh, I'm a disc jockey, uh, heavy on sports, doing the 8 to midnight on TAE 1250 in 1969, the boss said, have you done play-by-play? And I said, honestly, I did when I was a student at Duquesne. He said, well, Ed Conway is going to do the pit football games, but he can't travel uh, with basketball, so you'll do basketball and help him with football. And by God, I had my sports hat on, and uh, it was a break. Bill Hillgrove, who retired as Steelers play-by-play announcer today, but will continue here as voice of the Pitt Panthers on the fan, including their game Saturday against Boston College, an important one in Chestnut Hill. Uh, Bill, what keeps you going? Because you're not stepping away from everything, just the Steelers side of things. What makes you still want to do this? Well, if you go 100 miles an hour, you don't want to suddenly stop and do zero. So I'm going to do 50 miles an hour for a while and smell some roses and uh, you know, the truth is that if I do a pit game on a Saturday, I still have half a weekend left. I still have all of July and most of August left. And uh, that was the determining factor. I could spend more time smelling roses, being on my boat at Conneaut Lake, and certainly being with the family. Bill, is there a non, I'll ask you, non-Super Bowl or conference title game, uh, is there a, a particularly memorable Steelers game from your th- your career that isn't one of those obvious big ones uh, that sticks out to you where you just, for whatever reason, the game had a quality where you haven't really forgotten and it has stayed with you very close uh, through the years. The championship game against the Colts in 95, and it was even before that last play, I noticed uh, on a third down and short that Willie Williams, was that his name, the cornerback? Yep. yep. Came up to the line of scrimmage and I'm saying, you know, in my thought process, is he going to fire? And sure enough, he did. And he ran up the back of the running backs back and hauled him down before they got the first down. And it turned out, as I talked to him after the game, he said, well, it was the other corner was supposed to fire. And I saw him playing off the line of scrimmage. So I ad-libbed and I fired. And it was a big play in the game. And, of course, it set up that uh, Hail Mary that Jim Harbaugh threw that I was told the Colts announcer and the national announcer both called a touchdown. But uh, I waited, and I took my cue from Merrill Hodge. Watch the official. And, you know, we saw the official in the end zone look through that mass of humanity, and he started pointing to the ground like the ball touched the ground. And then we called it incomplete, and we ended up being accurate. Uh, Showed a little patience, and I think that's what you have to do. 
Bill, uh, they sent out, the Steelers did a four-minute video of all your biggest calls today. And it was great to relive some of those moments with your voice as the soundtrack of those plays. What is your favorite call from your 30 years of doing Steelers games? I think uh, the touchdown to San Antonio. You know, that whole sequence, uh, Larry Fitzgerald scores. Things look dark. Two minutes and change, we get a holding call. And all of a sudden, you saw the Hall of Fame in Ben Roethlisberger. Every pass he threw on that series was on a pair of Steelers' hands. And San Antonio should have caught the one in the left side of the end zone on the previous play, but Ben had the guts to go right back to him in the right side of the end zone, and the rest is history. That was my favorite. Where does the James Harrison play from that very same game? Um, you're calling the plays in real time, so maybe there's not time to, to consider what you're actually witnessing. You've got to describe the action, Bill, but as that play is unfolding, he's got the ball 100 yards from pay dirt. What is going through your mind as you see him start to lumber down the field and shove to Shade Townsend away and say, go block, don't take the ball, go block for me? I... Uh, I haven't listened to the replay, but in my mind's eye, I think I had him out of bounds once and down another time. Uh, it was the craziest play I've ever been fortunate to describe, but uh, certainly one of the greatest in uh, Super Bowl history. And, uh, and I remember the end of that play. Larry Fitzgerald tried to catch him, but had to run out of bounds to do so. He was out of bounds for like 16, 17 yards. And he finally caught him, but by that time, James had crossed the goal line. So uh, that was uh, pretty pretty heady stuff. But that, that, that game was really special, no doubt about it. Bill, what's today been like for you? Um, I'm sure you've had all kinds of luminaries, both athletes and people, titans in the broadcast business, reach out to you and congratulate you on your Steelers retirement. Uh, I got uh, a nice text from the governor of Hawaii this afternoon, who's a big Steelers fan. Oh, wow. I found this awesome. out. Honestly, I found this out when we were in uh, Las Vegas. I'm sitting at the bar at the hotel, and this guy comes in, and he's eyeballing me, and he's walking on the other side of this oval bar, and he came all, it comes all the way around and uh, says, Bill, my name is, I can't remember his name, but uh, I'm the governor of Hawaii, and I was born and raised in uh, uh, near Burgettstown, out that way. And he's been in Hawaii for 30 years and is the governor and a big Steelers fan. He was at the game in full Steelers regale. And that was kind of a nice uh, text that I got from him today. Also, uh, I heard from Gene Deckerhoff, the voice of the Tampa Bay Bucks, uh, Jim Donovan, the voice of the Browns, and Jerry Sandusky, the voice of the Ravens. Uh, and and th those were rewarding things to get from my, my peers. Well, Bill, we can't wait to hear your call of the game against Boston College on Saturday. Uh, we'll have that for you on the fan, so you're not completely retiring. We'll have you doing pit football games this fall, including the backyard brawl, so we're looking forward to that. Bill, thank you so much, and again, congratulations Thanks, on your retirement. We'll make sure Jack Hillgrove doesn't get into any trouble the next time he's on with us, okay? Keep him on the straight narrow, would you please? <laughs> we'll try. Thanks. See you, Bill. Thank you. Sure enough, I looked. Josh Green, governor of Hawaii. Born and raised, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. His personal life on Wikipedia, oh, yeah, he's got a wife. Green is a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'll be damned. Well, he, you think that's the guy that calls in from Hawaii to our show? No, that guy's Kevin in Hawaii. Okay. And he's he's like military or like government But do you think that agency. it's actually the governor and he just uses Kevin Kevin in Hawaii? 
No, because Kevin in Hawaii claims to be traveling to, like, Japan all the time. I would think the governor's staying right in yeah. Hawaii. Man, imagine going from the weather in Burgettstown to Hawaii. Good work if you can get it. That is... Yeah, like, I, what's the backstory of how you he get was from, from Burgettstown to Hawaii? So the guy born in Kingston, New York, which is up... It's small town New York, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, it just says he... He was, you know, raised in Pittsburgh, so it must have been one of those deals where um, family moved. Burgettstown, I think maybe maybe he ended up out there, but he went to Quaker Valley, so that's more close to the city. Yep. And then this is this is the thing I just don't understand. Gentleman is a is a doctor by trade, apparently. Mm-hmm. Oh, here it is: National Health Service Corps pony in Hawaii, physician on the Big Island, and then you end up the governor. What a life. What a flex. I would actually want to talk to that guy and just be like, dude, what's the life story like? Get him on. Got the Get go- his take on the quarterback situation. Starkey listening to this right now. Quick, <laughs> someone book me the governor. Uh, PM team power rankings are next. Malsey's going to rank his top five play-by-play guys in honor of Bill Hillgrove Steelers retirement. We've got scouting combine scuttlebutt, including Mike Tomlin apparently foaming at the mouth, drooling over certain prospects today as they were working out. We'll give you that update. But first, a timeout. We'll be right back. It's the PM team. Power Power rankings. Once a week, we give power rankings. Today, Malsey is ranking the five best play-by-play men. Now, is this guy currently working? Uh, it's a mix. Some guys. So curr- some guys are done. Yeah, some guys done. Uh, one of in our two- Pittsburghers eligible. No, so I don't want to step on any toes. So I know Mike Lang. No, Greg no, Brown. no. The Gunner. No Gunner. No Bill no, I'm taking Pittsburghers out of it. I don't want to make any. I don't feel like making. You don't want to make enemies. Mad. Yeah, okay. I don't want to make enemies. I do that enough just with my natural personality. Correct. Um, so this is just all time five to one. Uh, it's a it's a mix. It's definitely radio or TV. There's a little bit of both. You're gonna hear it. All right. You're gonna understand. Five to one. Yep. Number five. Uh, this is one I think is gonna be pretty controversial with people that I include them, but I think you will understand it more than most. I love college basketball. I love basketball in general. I yearn and pine for the days when Pitt was in the top ten regularly and playing huge tilts in the Big East on Big Monday against Connecticut. Vital would be there just foaming at the mouth about the team basketball. You'd have Billis making snarky remarks. And I thought Dan Shulman was always the glue that held that whole operation together. I just think Shulman is a terrific, versatile guy. He never gets in the way of the action. I think he calls the action with a lot of excitement. It's understated for some people, and I highly doubt he makes most people listening to this his list right now, but he does for me. Oh, these are not color analysts. These are all no. This is all play, play by play. 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 Okay. Well, because we just talked to Bill. Bill did play by play. All right. Play. So five is Dan Schultz. Are you good with that? I am. Yeah. Okay. Number four uh, on my list is Pat, the late great Pat Summerall. Uh, you want to talk understated economy of words? I believe it was old Bill Shakespeare, not the Steelers draft pick, who said brevity is the soul of wit. Nobody did more with less than Summerall as far as verbiage. And I think he did something, too, on television that I respect guys for doing because it takes a lot of faith in your audience, basically not having to have their hand held the whole time. He deferred a lot to Madden because he knew that Madden had so much to say. 
But he also knew that if somebody was watching him on Fox or on a, on a TV broadcast on CBS, they could see the action. He just needed to give them the names. I respect that. I think that it's like when you write a column or something. I'll just make a quick deviation here. What Joe Starkey does that I really respect is Joe thinks understands his audience has a basic understanding of the topic already. And so if he makes a little joke or a wisecrack, he doesn't bend over backwards explaining it. I always like that about Summerall. Because you hear guys now do play-by-play -play pony, and they're always, I've got a, the guy who did the Clemson Pitt game, he more had a distinct voice than anything. Uh, he sounded like a nerd. He had a very unusual voice, which is fine, but there was a lot of talking. Nothing, he wasn't letting anything breathe. Summerall, I think, has the second best voice in football history behind Senda. And did you know that Robbie Smikowski was his intern? Yeah, I did know that, actually. And that his last year, they would make bets with him to get certain words onto the broadcast. And Pat would do it with all that gravitas. Twisted him up, peeled it like a banana. And he got tampon in one game. No way. Yes. No way. Yeah. Could you imagine that happened today? No, I actually cannot. <laughs> Social media would blow I up. Uh, number three. Uh, and this is a guy who I am going to very clearly specify. It's for his work in radio. Kevin Harlan, man. Mm. Two things. I don't think there's a better radio football guy. And I know I'm leaning towards football here, but I think he could do anything well. The man on Westwood One, when you hear him on the fan, which I feel like you should consider yourself fortunate to hear this guy, he will describe a play at breakneck speed with an unimaginable amount of detail in the medium where you should have a ton of detail. So he's the opposite of Summerall. Exactly. And I think it's a harder job to do radio, any of these sports, than it is to do TV. There's an art to it with TV. Radio, you got to have everything buttoned up. Harlan is terrific. And even though he's very serious with his calls, it's all business, nobody calls like a man on the field, an animal on the field, a ridiculous occurrence in the middle of the game more amusingly than Harlan. A squirrel going from the 20 to the 10, the 5, the touchdown, whatever. I think Harlan does a terrific job. Two. This was a tough one, but then not really. Uh, the guy, I think, authored the single most famous call in American sports history. Probably one that's never going to get beat. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. A miracle for this man would be eating a vegetable because he doesn't. Al Michaels. A little bit surprised he's not one. Well. Even though he's lost his fastball lately. I'm not holding that part of it against him. He's just, he's iconic. Uh, he can call any sport well. Uh, and he, he, just for a lot of people our age, we're both in our late 30s. I think he's the soundtrack. Okay, so who's won then? Number one, even though he was calling games on the Pacific Coast, I didn't have like a daily appreciation for listening to him. But every time I heard him, I just thought it was phenomenal. It was like listening to somebody who was older than, you know, a guy grandfather aged, just tell stories and just spin terrific stories where you could just pull up a chair and imagine yourself sitting for hours as Vin Scully. Mm -hmm. And Vin Scully did something that I think is incredible. He was so good as a one-man band, he just didn't work with a color man. And basically their strategy, if he was doing TV, or I, I think it was usually TV towards the end of his career. but I, I think, think it was simulcast. Right, exactly. That's right. He would do a simulcast. He didn't need a color man. He had such gravitas that they would just let him tell stories. And in, just the pacing was perfect. The voice is perfect. The only ding in his resume is that Jack Buck's call of the Gibson home run, which is, for my money, the most dramatic single moment in sports history. Uh -huh. I think Buck's call is actually a little better, but Scully's is unbelievable, too. You know why? 
He calls the home run. It's an all-time moment, and he lets the crowd tell you the story because he was doing it on national television at that point. Two minutes of silence while Gibson's going around the bases, barely able to make it. Letting the action tell the story for you is, I think, one of the hallmarks of a truly great broadcaster. I think he's the best there ever was. Shulman, Summerall, Harlan, Michael, Scully. That's the five. I think I would have left Scully off altogether because he wouldn't have been top of mind for me because I don't think of him as a national guy. So no disrespect to him. I mean, he's probably the, he is the best baseball announcer of all time. I think I would have forgotten about him though. Cause I've, some of the I names I was writing down, Keith Jackson, I had written down. No, I know. I, I listen, man, you got to break some eggs to make an omelet. I, I did. Keith Jackson's probably one. If I were going to, if I were going to take off um, Shulman here and replace him with that one, it, it's probably. Well, I mean, Keith Jackson, I think, had the same kind of appeal Scully has for a lot of people. And Summerall. Keith Jackson, yeah, I'm, I'm staying with with Showman. I'm staying with Showman because I'm staying true to, like, what I, you know, kind of grew up on. But, I mean, that's a that's a tempting pick to make. All right. Fan weather brought to you by Sun Chevy Low of 30 Degrees. Coming up next, scout, scouting combine scuttled up. The Steelers are there. Omar Khan talked. And what Mike Tomlin is doing right now. Right this second, that's getting a lot of attention. All that coming up, but first a quick timeout. We'll be right back. It's the PM team. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.